Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This episode is about VMware Explorer, the show at the end of August where VMware brings together its community, its vendors, uh, and, and tells what's going on. And at the end of the day, they're doing pretty well. Uh, they are dominating in their market. They are uh, making the right moves and uh, doing a good job uh, for their for their customers and for their partners, which is a surprising thing, frankly, for me to be giving you as the summary of the conversation, because that's certainly not where we started out. In this conversation, we start from the position of VMware is not doing what it needs to do. It's not, it's fumbling its message. It's not doing the right things. And then we talk through all of the things that contribute to VMware's position in the market. And surprisingly, at the end of the day, we felt like they did a pretty good job. I think if you listen through, you will be fascinated to hear our journey to that position. Yeah, but it seems like uh, power efficiency is going to start becoming uh, much more impactful than than raw power in the near future. Oh. So uh, this might this might be the um, the shoe that that arm has been looking for. Yeah, I think it's gonna be gonna be necessary. And then even the, the conversation about multi cloud. Will it literally become more of a, a requirement just because you can't get capacity from an Azure or an AWS, or mm -hmm. you have to figure out how to how to spread the love between multiple clouds just because there's not enough capacity? That that might also, might also have an effect on um, on spot instances. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, where they they use them as a load shed. Mm -hmm. Like the, either the, the the cost of spot spot instances is going to go up to to become equivalent to reserved instances, or they're they're just not going to become available at all. An interesting thought of I don't know enough about the mathematics of it. If if they take all spare capacity as reserved instances, or I don't know, and, or and how much they, you know, if they ever run out. Well, historically, the, the, there have been cases where they've started reaping a significant amount of spot instances because they needed to handle uh, peak load. Typically, you see that around like Black Friday and similar. Um, <clears throat> What what's probably going to happen though, on, on, unless the demand can be met with supply, is that uh, uh, we'll we'll see uh, these kind of reapings much more often. Makes sense. I mean. I don't think anybody's prepared for it because you have to be able to scale up and scale down workloads in ways that I don't think people are thinking through. Well, the thought has been is that the cloud is unlimited. <laughs> I spit up more and more, and it never never runs out. Oops! I've, and uh, sorry for people who've been waiting to join. I'm I'm adding you now. 
not watching the right part of my screen. All right. Um, I the the thing about ARM to me, I, I guess with Graviton and you know the new Macs and stuff, ARM is ARM is seeing some um, investment. I the challenge I've always seen with ARM is it's just operationally there's a lot of burden from an ARM perspective. Even like even I tried to switch to a Mac Mini. My Mac laptop is fine, but when I switched to a Mac Mini to run my desktop workloads, there was enough operational hiccups that I I gave it back. It's the transitional cost of of having or, or or not having the um, the software available. Um, all the cross compiling and the yeah. yeah, like all in all, we've been blessed in the past two <laughs> decades uh, in in that we've had a, a rather uniform platform to work on. Yeah. Um, like I was going to pick the word spoiled. I, I think blessed is probably a better. Spoiled is accurate as well. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember the, the, like, I, I, probably the, the, the last time we, we've had this kind of the diversity was when, when Apple was still uh, running um, their, um, uh, their G4 um, processors. Mm -hmm. um, and even then, the, it was already cooling down at that point. Like late '90s, what was when we had a really big explosion of uh, different um, processor architectures and and so on. Well, it's yeah, and then um, and then sorry, I'm messing with my screen trying to get my gallery view, and then. Um, yeah, Intel just sort of won it, just like TCP/IP um, and Ethernet won. Yeah, in that same consolidate. I mean, it's market-wise, it's it's really useful. Yeah. Um. From you know when when we were when we started doing work on pies, uh, you know, trying to get things to work in a in a portable way across the Raspberry Pi platform took us took us some work, and even then the container registry stuff was right there. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, and the, the, the catch is like, you, you compile it for Raspberry Pi, well, great, but it doesn't mean that it will run on, on necessarily on, on, on other ARM devices. Like you have 32-bit versus 64-bit, you have the various different... That's the, we, we would hit that with the different... Um, once they were able to run the 64-bit Ubuntu kernel, so we had a, we had a. Um, this might actually get better because we're doing some migration, but our CTO would make us work on eyes on the discovery image. Had to hack the Ubuntu kernel into a CentOS user space because only the Ubuntu kernel worked on the pies, and um, oh, that was a, that was a mess that was a mess worked but yes. um, and, and it has side effects on on the ci pipelines as well like it with with, with the predominantly in, intel 
um, space, well, you, you would compile it once, chuck it in your container, and, and, and then great, it's usable everywhere. Now, either you create multi-architecture binaries, which are still kind of green behind the ears, uh, and, and at least in terms of strategies and how to uh, compile them, or you create uh, multiple container versions, none of which is really um, yep, that's right. all, all that desirable. And, and you have to know, it's, we have the same issue with Go, right? You have to be like, okay, which architecture am I running? Which Linux, you know, which variant, which architecture? Um, it's not the end of the world. It's just a level of mess. I'm sure the dust will settle, but uh, it's a it's a transition period, so it's it's by nature chaotic. I wonder. I mean, here's here's the transition I'll use to VM VMware Explore, aka VMworld for discussion. Um, the yeah, you know, they they keep talking about um, smart NICs and and you know moving moving the hypervisor to an IPU. Did they actually build like a mixed architecture server from that perspective and let let you pick which processor you wanted, like have a have a VM that runs on the ARM processors and one that runs on the Intel processors? Or is that a Frankenstein too far? I, I think the, the benefit to the cloud platform would would not be high enough to, to make them want to support that. That, that that would add complexity. Um, I, I see it much more reasonable to ha to provide uh, like co-processors for um, the specific workloads, like Apple has been doing with, with their with their newest uh, architectures. Uh, I mean, we we already have uh, instance types with with GPUs and and, and with HSM. So why not have, let's say, like uh, instances mm -hmm. with dedicated video transcoding hardware, um, which like it doesn't oh, need a dedicated CPU, it just needs like dedicated hardware again. So yeah, so you would build a cluster that has, you know, mixes ARM and Intel, that, and then it would just schedule wherever it needed to go. Yes. Just like you would mix GPU types. Yeah. And you could the That's reasonable. I, I would see blades being the first first uh place where heterogeneity actually gets established. So you have machines that have uh you know all those tons of CPUs, but they're all uh a set of blades. And so you just make you make a it blade by blade what the architecture is. Yeah, that, that seems much yeah. more reasonable. That's at least I, how they would start, I think. The challenge I get into any any of that though is that it's um just not very it's not very efficient. You're buying you know infrastructure that you might not use. Well, you only buy the the uh other blade if you had a specific use for it 
and you needed yeah. fast memory transfer. Right. So, and, and you could always emulate. You'd, you'd, em, you'd emulate if you had a couple. You'd emulate once you get enough. You'd, you'd know what your workload yeah. would be. You'd start adding and, capacity. And mm. if if you're uh, <laughs> if you're in a data center, it makes much more sense than if you're just got a rack. Um, but it's oh, like the yeah. uh, the AI stuff. The AI stuff doesn't work run fast on Intel, which is why they run off of uh, specialty processors. But the specialty processors are built into the same computer as a regular processor. As uh, used to do it all the time with, with things like parallel processing, you'd have a, uh, a main processor that would actually pro provide mostly command and control. And then you'd have the uh, uh, parallel processor boards, which were specialty chips. That I can see where you actually need the processor. I, I don't see heterogeneous clusters as and like, and nobody's talking about heterogeneous clusters from my perspective, from, as far as I can see. I'll talk about multi-cloud or combining clusters, but mixed mixed infrastructure clusters are I just haven't seen it, even if it's a good idea to solve this problem. Again, like I, I, I strongly suspect that that the that what's holding back adoption of mixed infrastructure clusters is not so much the the willingness, uh, but the uh, the opportunity cost. Like again, in in order to in order to use mixed infrastructure clusters, you are you need to have mixed infrastructure containers, or or at least multiple images to to support that mixed infrastructure. Um, right. it, if you don't have those, then you need to factor in the cost of building those in the first place, of updating your CI/CD um, platform to to create those. Uh, of ensuring that you have the, the proper testing. So you may need to update your developer workstations to, in order to be able to uh, test other infrastructures. So the, the cost to switch to a new architecture, even partially, is significant. So on, unless the unless the benefit significant uh, outweighs uh, that cost, um, very few people are going to adopt it in, in the first place. And here is where uh, IoT and edge rolls in. <laughs> the cost becomes less uh, less important when your edge, all of the the Internet of Things out there that you're talking to, are ARM such as in phones and control chips and all sorts of things like that. Uh, if you want better integration in processing, you could very well decide to swallow the cost in your CI, CD and whatnot to go with an ARM server type of uh, processing center. And so that's where you would want, and you still, could very well want to keep some of your other stuff running with the Intel version. Yeah, you 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 would add 
worker nodes that, that, that are ARM to your existing infrastructure, in which case, yes, so a hybrid model would be useful. And it's one of those things where whether it's needed or not, somebody's going to do it. <laughs> mm. uh, many times, likely coming out of the IoT world, migrating into the cloud world because they're so used to working with one system that they just said, well, of course we want it this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is so, you know, circling back to VMware, this is part of the story that that they've been, you know, Actually, surprisingly to me, I wasn't expecting it successful with the one system across different footprints. That's right. And, and what you're describing to me is, is IoT becomes the part of that. Yeah. Well, I think um, it comes out of the data center out to the edge. Um, I, I still don't know that the the cross cloud story still makes any sense. Uh, you mean hold on? Can I break that into pieces? Because you added edge and cross 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 cloud. Yeah. So the the idea of running, let's say I've got I got VMware in my data center. I'm still okay. still got some on prem stuff, and I'm I have stuff at the edge. Mm. It makes some sense to use some VMware stuff at the edge. I think where the story is starting to, to fall apart and has never really gotten off the ground was I'm gonna do VMware on-prem and then still wanna do VMware in AWS, VMware in Azure. At the same time, I know that there's a ton of that going. Because I, I, I've agreed with you. I was very skeptical at, at first as to whether or not they would um, convince people to pay a premium for VMware in the cloud when people could do native in the cloud. And I, yeah. I think there's a similar challenge in that. And like, like this is a, to me a really good conversation, especially back between what we saw at VMworld, VMware messaging, and then what we think is practical. <laughs> but that that uh, VMware on AWS or Azure or Google or Oracle, um, it seemed like a stretch to me, but they're selling it. Well, here's the thing, like uh, when, when, you, when, you, when you have to, or when you want to do a hybrid cloud, you either do, you either do VMware in the cloud and, and, and pay that premium, or you do, do it the other way around, like Anthos. In which case, there's also significant premium. So, it, it it's not so much that VMware needs to worry about having a premium at, at all. That they just need to worry about their premium being less than the competition. And, and right now, the the it's 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 a pretty low bar for them to cross. Um, and. Okay. When, when it comes to like lift and shift or, or, or trying to to uh, to target um, customers who are on-prem and want to move to the cloud, uh, they have the, the big advantage that VMware in the cloud gives them familiar tools. <laughs> I'm laughing because 
for this, this in, in a way circled straight back to the arm Intel conversation. Um, because familiarity of tools and need, you know, uh, is, is an important, important component. Oh yeah. Inertia um, is a, it's a huge factor. If you're using, I guess this is where I, I, I scratch my head. Cause if you're using, it's a teams, it's a, sorry, it's a team's problem. Meaning you might have a cloud team that sets up a vCenter in Azure. Great. That's probably a different team than the team using the cloud, using the managing the VMs and doing the sysadmin work on vCenter. And so, yeah, you're right. It's this team you have that's used to doing it on-prem, they're just, they're just adding, they're pointing to a new vCenter and all the management tools and processes and automation and images all now still work. Yeah. Um, and, and in particular, if, if the, the company has no need to adopt 90% of what the cloud offers, they, they just don't want to maintain the hardware themselves anymore, it absolutely makes sense. Yeah, no, if it's, if it's, well, it's not just the hardware. I mean, one of the things that we do a ton of is VMware, like bootstrapping automation. And, and that is, um, that's a lot of, it's a behemoth. It's a lot of work. Um, and they're, they're not, not a innovation area for VMware. So it doesn't, it, it hasn't progressed much. Like, they, like I've been at VMworld for a while now and, and they don't, so just, they don't talk about that part of the product at all. It's not assumed done. Um, but it's I mean, lifecycle managers definitely gotten quite a bit of work in the, the last couple of years. I think it's just a marketing and publicity issue mm -hmm. that it hasn't been brought to the forefront as much as it could. And it's definitely talked about a lot when people talk about VCF VMware uh, cloud foundation in terms of deployment yeah. there, but I don't, I don't think it's made its way in as a, a core forefront product or capability like it should have. It's it's hard for for customers who are across multiple versions to get excited about stuff that's in the new in the new versions when they're going to have mixed fleets for a long time and it doesn't. So they they end up not you know back we're back to a tools and inertia from that perspective. I, along those lines, did anybody pick up what was new in eight? It's a major release. Um, yes. I didn't see. It was, it was a little underwhelming with the focus. So the focus is on distributed architecture. So bringing in the, the DPUs, distributed processing units to offload um, the CPU processing or the processing from the CPU. Um, been a work, some work around GPU support in terms of making that more robust. Uh, and then outside of that, I know there were some VMware tools updates with the VMware hardware version 20, but it felt the uh, felt underwhelming for it to be a, a major version release of the platform. That was that was my sense of it too. Like they definitely linked licensing changes and moving to annual subscription to eight pretty hard. But and there were some performance improvements that I that I picked up on, but um, I didn't, I didn't feel there was, besides what you're talking about, 
um, which I mean probably architecturally warrants a major release, but I, I'd, I'd you'd have to look at the code base. And, you know, I'm assuming the APIs are changing them. I do know I do know they keep working on the underlying some of the architecture and API stuff that um, we deal with. They keep tweaking and changing. It's, it's got just got better over time. It's still not the greatest. Yeah, that was it, it didn't make a lot of news for that. And I didn't I was expecting more Kubernetes enablement features in eight than I saw. And maybe they just don't they don't need a lot. So there was more of the I think more of the same where they I know they had some updates to one of the Kubernetes runtimes that they have, it's so hard to keep up with their runtimes now and what they call them. I think it's I think it's TKGS is what they updated um, in this release. And uh, I, I was going through that today, and and in some ways, feel like VMware has, has missed the mark on what that could have been. Like I, I get the whole Kubernetes piece, but I feel like they they could have had a um, adjacent offering that provided a much simpler containerization strategy for organizations, similar like you have with uh, AWS ECS or uh, Azure's container apps, something that's a little more lightweight. I think s- similar to some of the things they've started and stopped and tried before, as opposed to just you will adopt Kubernetes and that will be your option. I guess the thing I was hoping that they would have here, and I didn't see it, please let me know if you did, was just lighter, like lighter and lighter weight or, you know, kube, um, the kube lib um, integrations like down at the host level. So uh, an ESX I serve, an ESX server could become a Kubernetes host. Yes. So they've had that with a pod service. Um, I was actually just looking at that again today. And it's, I haven't seen it gotten much love in the last two years. And the articles that are still out there from two years ago are basically like you would only use that in these very rare edge cases. Everything Mm -hmm. else, you should just use Tanzu, the Kubernetes (laughs) flavor. Uh, So so it's like, yeah, yeah, I don't know what we're doing. I saw I saw that in the um, that went to two different talks. Granted, I, I'm going to Edge talks um, that where they were promoting the bring your own server uh, Tanzu integration, which is just a Linux look like an Ubuntu. They prefer Ubuntu server that they then connected into the cluster to manage. Which strikes me as a bit of a problem. There's no, it's not licensed software. The Tanzu control plane, I guess they're competing with Anthos there. I mean, I know they've got the, they've got the community edition and, and I think they're open to yeah. trying different models and ways to entice you into the the VMware ecosystem, um, which is a bit of a divergence yeah. in what they've traditionally been known for. Well, 
I mean, it, it makes sense to me if you're going to, especially from an edge perspective, if you're going to be like, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm putting together a small v, VMware cluster right on a manufacturing site. And there's there's a lot of benefits to running certain workloads in that in a in a hardened cluster where you have uh, vSAN and vMotion and right and networking controls, but then at some point there's a whole bunch of work that has to get done, and farming that out to just you know small footprint Linux machines um, seems like a you know well it's always seemed like a reasonable model to me, but. I guess they don't want you to spin up an, a cluster of another of another vendor. It seems it seems, it seems like I guess they're they're that's a otherwise they're, you're going to lose somebody's going to show up and say oh you know what I'll just use Rancher or Anthos or whatever for those. I'll build my cluster inside vCenter and then use somebody else's Kubernetes, Kubernetes management planes inside that cluster. I'll get the benefits of the, the VMware cluster, um, but not the not the overhead of putting VMs on it. VMware. Right. Is that a problem? I mean, it's jumping two steps back to the meta. Or is this just gravity? And VMware maybe is finally not resisting it. I think some of it's going to be them trying to figure out what the the strategy and the path forward is. Because um, I mean, you even look at the the Aria announcement in terms of some of the things they're doing there, and then trying to figure out where some of their their other aspects from a platform standpoint are going to be. And I think there's some even some potential uncertainty around the Broadcom acquisition in terms of what will or, or yeah. what won't make it out the other side. That was blissfully ignored, as far as I could tell at the show. Actually, it was, intent, it was forcefully stopped, what I heard from when I talked to my friends who were analysts. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm not faulting any you know, VMware on that. They, they're, they're like, we're... We don't have information to share and we're not ready to talk about it. So don't waste, don't waste your time asking questions about it. Um, but they, they, they were pretty, like there was not, the broad, Broadcom was not mentioned at the show in, in, except in passing. Did you have a similar experience? Did you get to talk to VMware people? Uh, yeah, I mean. Not breaking it's... confidence. <laughs> and, uh, same same sort of sense and feel. I, I think I think it was it was twofold. I think there was likely some active hey let's not talk about it conversation, but I think some of it was also just an opportunity for people to sort of get away from sort of that that noise and, and hopefully get get into some of the actual tech and some of the interesting things. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I just think the the tech and some of the interesting things never really materialized. Uh, like it could ever should have. Do you feel like they toned down the future promises a little bit? Like part of the the theme here that I, I thought actually was a little bit refreshing was that they they didn't spend a ton of time promoting roadmap items, but were you know more pragmatic. Uh, I think I think I think for me it was a little 
disappointing in that like i i enjoy a good story uh, of what we're gonna gonna look forward to in the future obviously not so marketing to the point that it literally just doesn't make any sense um but i, I think the thing going in was i was um i was expecting to to, to see tanzu all all the time everywhere um i didn't really see that too much um and, and i think unfortunately what happened was you ended up in this weird spot uh, from a content standpoint is there wasn't as much tanzu as i thought but there definitely didn't feel like there was content geared towards the traditional vmware target base so it almost like landed somewhere in the middle and, and if you you thought it was interesting you went over picked it up but otherwise it, i think it just fell flat What you're describing to me is the the two VMware's um, conference part. Like there was Tanzu and VMware. It still feels like they're separate. Like like the developer message and the admin message is also a theme I heard. I was reading Gina's um, write up about it. And there's, yeah. there's a question of marketing to the developers in Tanzu versus the admins with VMware. Well, I mean, it's the it's the challenge that VMware has faced for a number of years now <laughs> in terms of quote unquote trying to change their their target audience. Um, and the thing I always say is it that's literally like one of the hardest things to do because people that know you for VMware. Uh, either they love you for your your infrastructure and and operations centric tooling and technology, and oftentimes those that know of you but aren't operators or admins will always think of you as VMware. Yeah, it's kind of hard to change your identity when you've got. 30 years of identity in yeah. one way. So they're, they're trying to get folks to look at them slightly, to look at them differently, not just slightly differently. And that's a, a heavy lift. That's the innovator's dilemma, right? In a nutshell. It's the it's the good and the bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's been good because that that you've you had success in who you were but now it's how do i how do i pivot to something else exactly with and with broadcom hanging over their shoulders people are nervous about the the willingness to invest in the pivot that's what's it's front it's frustrating to me because i actually think uh tanzu seems like a pretty legitimate um kubernetes distro you know i, I one of the things that I, I was hearing on the floor from my, my friends who are on that side, they're like, we have, we have really good traction. Um, and with installs and customers. Um, well, but, so that, that, that becomes potentially skewed. Is, okay. it, is it good traction in a vacuum or is it good traction <laughs> because of the licensing deals and, and all those things that come along from a, uh, a vSphere standpoint. 
similar how to, to how Red Hat has traditionally done with things like Ansible Tower or Ansible Automation Platform, where it's a, a bit of a bundled in thing. And, and yes, you do have a lot of people using it, but is it because it's a great product or because uh, the, the deal worked out well? Well, it's just one of the things to me about enterprise Kubernetes is, you know, it's a lot of the enterprise Kubernetes is very close to, and should remain very close to trunk. Um, it's really just putting a badge in front of it and a support organ. Because right, that's part of my belief is that people, you know, aren't buying the enterprises. Let me say it this way. The enterprises that we, we deal with, are less interested in buying Kubernetes from, you know, a startup or getting it from the internet. They're, they're, they're looking to get it from um, one of their, their trusted platform. So VMware, Red Hat. Um, it's pretty much the list. Um, or from the cloud that they're using part of the platform of the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even Rancher, you know, seems like, They've they they haven't had the the easy walk um, to propagate an enterprise Kubernetes. I mean, I'd love to sort of somebody to disagree with that. Just what we've seen is that you know that's that's as far as the enterprises are shopping for uh, self Kubernetes. I mean, I, I see Rancher being more popular in the startup slash. Uh, IoT environment, particularly with P3s. Um, it, it is a, a hard competition, though. Like, for, for a lot of people, it, you look at, say, Cubitman uh, versus Rancher. And, and mm-hmm. Unless you are familiar with the issues of maintaining Kubernetes, that is, you've done your burden for over a year, um, <laughs> it's very hard to see the the benefits that something like Rancher gives you. I have done that burden myself, and I know why I would personally prefer Rancher, uh, because like doing cluster upgrades without, without it is painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, again, when, when, when you just look at it from the perspective of, Hey, I managed to get a cluster running. It's, it's very difficult to, to see beyond that hill. And, and that's it's, interestingly, you know, we were talking about ops and admin stuff. Yeah. I didn't hear them talking a lot about cluster upgrade management processes for Tanzu. I think they have a whole bunch of stuff, like their grid, Tanzu grid, I think they're calling it. Yeah, TKG, Tanzu grid. I mean, they're using, um, under the covers, I think all of their stuff is transitioned to using cluster API, uh, which has the ability to support upgrades of clusters. I know they're pushing uh, TMC or Tanzu Mission Control, I think as the place to do it from. I don't know if they've made it to there yet, or if they're still telling you to do it through vSphere natively. Uh, but I mean, they, they've got the got the story there. I think in many ways, I think they're just treating it as this is just infrastructure. Don't look look don't look over here, and look more at our developer centric stuff. 
Yeah. No, that's without a doubt the sort of the message that they were giving. That the I, I, I typically think it's the admins at the show, not the developers. I, I think everyone, except for those that were uh, creating the message, think that same thing. <laughs> I, what I wish is, I wish that that, that side of um, Kubernetes was, or, or actually any, any environment, was more, um, got more press, got more, more love. Because it's well, hard, right? That I, stuff is really hard and valuable. Well, I think as an industry, the industry has moved away purposefully from talking about that, talking about the idea, especially when we start talking about the, the cloud managed Kubernetes, the idea of managing Kubernetes clusters is undifferentiated work and organizations mm. shouldn't even think about doing it and more of a dismiss, dismiss, dismiss. And so I think that just permeates into uh, all other situations where there's a Kubernetes cluster. It's nope. The Kubernetes cluster itself is the platform we build platforms on top of. And, and wording like that, I think, creates that. Well, I fully agree. And I think part of it is uh, VMware likes to talk at, uh, they, they talk at the, uh, the admin operator developer level, but they prefer to talk at the director and C-suite level. And so talking to CIOs and folks like that, it's how do we make our developers more productive? Uh, that's why we're paying the big bucks to you because we have more developers than operators. So they have to have something to tell the C-suite to sell the C-suite on as to why it's important that you buy our stuff. And so they have to talk at one level, they have to talk at the operators because the operators are the ones that make it all work. And if you don't get a team on board with that, it's going to be a bear and really ugly. But the other way is they sell more of the operator plat of the developer platform than the operators because there are more developers out there than operators. I agree. I agree with you on the positioning statement. It's funny because a lot of times the developers, I, I, you're right about the efficiency. Our operators often pay for tools. <laughs> There's money in the ops side. Um, but they, everybody wants to be in the in the front of the pipe. Yeah. Well, you know, it's. How many seats are you paying for and it? And VMware doesn't exactly work that way, but mm -hmm. it's you get the love of the developers and the developers say, oh, yeah, we're faster this way. Uh, it's the message. Yeah. The inertia has always been the operators will pick up the slack. Uh, they don't really get as much choice in the matter. Oh, that's you're right. If you you're, it's selling to somebody who doesn't have a lot of uh, choice. Is... Yeah. And when you're oh. selling at the at the director and C-suite level, they're actually sitting there going, "Yeah, our largest workforce is the one that needs to be more most effective." And 
uh, the operators will do whatever we tell them to. But you have the separate show there for the operators to say, look, we're, we're trying to make your life easier. <laughs> I'm thinking back through how VMware got in, right? And what made them, what, what made it so that they were the, the de facto choice, which I know actually comes back to the emotion as anything else. Um, well, remember, they started life out in the, uh, uh, there are tons of hardware architectures out there, and let's make it so developers can develop on any architecture they want without having the actual machine there. Well, and, and then part of the, we don't have to worry about systems going down if we've, if we've used VMware. Right. So from a developer perspective, right? address the reliability problem. Right. And so it's like they they mm -hmm. they uh, roped in the operators through the reliability, but the original perspective was, yeah, there's a bunch of developers that sat there and said, how do I do everything from my desk? <laughs> but they also had the performance edge. Like developers by and large, Ended up favoring uh, VirtualBox just because it was free. And, uh, yeah. But uh, but VMware, what at one point was the king in, in virtualization performance. Yes. Oh, yes. They they spent a lot of time making ESX the fastest. That was a bit. That was a big a big component. Yeah. I, I think some of it they also won over the ISVs because there was a. a a wave in the early days where ISVs resisted virtual machines and then suddenly realized that they could ship their software in a VHD and um, you know, control the amount of RAM, the amount of disk, the IO performance. And suddenly they were out of the BIOS troubleshooting business. <laughs> right, I mean, that's I, back, back before VMs were, were pervasive. You were yep. dealing with the problems that right what we we deal with help people solve all the time, which is you know what did, how is that machine configured down to the BIOS and disk subsystems and all that stuff, and if if you were selling into VMware, which I think ISV started requiring, then you didn't have to worry about that. Just right, it, it, it all all of those problems went away. You turned it over to the VMware people. Um. And you just said, "Here's my machine. It worked on worked on my VMware. Does it work? You know, should work on your VMware." That was that portability was a huge piece of the win. And it revolutionized to the the small data center. Yes, and the the thing is, is it also drove uh, the in, entire industry closer to the homogeneity that we have now, because the operators could get all the same machines and provide the developers whatever they needed. And so we ended up going all in on Intel. There was no need for ARM when the ARM was just out on the edge, but you could do all your work in a VM to get it up and running. Oh, boy. And we lost the muscle memory to do that work. <laughs> yep. 
right? Containers went even one step further and said, yeah, I'm not even worried about the OS. Just here's a, here's a, here's shim layers on top of my kernel. Yep. But now I don't even have to worry about that. So does, does that, how does that circle back to VMworld? That, I don't, that's, feels like they don't have that story anymore. I mean, they do. We started with this idea that everybody's using VMware in the cloud because of because of that portability and the tools inertia. Um, they designed themselves out of the marketplace <laughs> in some ways. Well, I, you know, if I was looking, they're, at they're it, still there and they're trying to be relevant. Genius. Part, yeah. part of the challenge of ma managing edge infrastructure is it's is it's back. It's even worse than than it was ten years ago. Because yep. all of those small footprint machines are incredibly bespoke. You throw ARM in there, um, and then it's even even weirder. Oh, ARM's already um, out there on the edge. You also got, got to remember the, the events like VMworld, they're, they're less geared towards the users like us, but more towards the sea level. Like... Mm -hmm. How, how do you how do you sell the, the story that, that we've been talking about to the C level? Okay, that's hard. But if if instead give them like a shiny product page, <laughs> um, yeah, like magpies, you know. That's where the developer story comes in. If if you're talking to the C level about improving developer productivity, which today is not about developer productivity at all, but we have a better Kubernetes, right? Yeah, it'll, and, it'll and, and and in in, in that context, the, the the sale is, um, well, how can you take the tools that developers are already familiar with in in their local data center and make them work in the cloud, which is what what. VMware has focused on in, in, in this VM world. So I, I I think that they got the right idea, whether they sold it hard enough, that that's going to, well, we'll see about that. I mean, I definitely think there's there's opportunity given the, the, the current ecosystem with obviously ranchers being an option, there's other players coming along. Uh, OpenShift is, is obviously still an option. There's, there's, I think, a little bit of growing, growing desire to look for other options uh, as opposed to OpenShift. So, I mean, VMware is 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 well positioned. Um, regardless, I, I think if if all the pieces fit together or if the messaging is quite right, I think they're out of all the players still in a, a very ideal position. I agree with you. I think it's I think there's a I think there's a lack of um, market players to who have a coherent message to compete with. They they also have the longevity as a company to back their support claims. Um, mm. For what it's worth, like Rancher by itself, it's still a fairly new keyword in, in the tech world. Like we're, it's the same snare. Like no one ever got fired for buying Cisco. Um, mm -hmm. 
so no, no one gets fired for for choosing VMware. It, it may not be the the most ideal option, but it's a safe option. It it's safe. It may cost a little bit more, but you're guaranteed that uh, you've got folks that know how to use it and uh, administer it, and you've got folks that know how to use it. And you, like Klaus said, you have the uh, customer support structure. So this is key for enterprises, and this is how VMware is trying to pivot for the enterprises to uh, they're they're banking on their reputation to give them the headroom to do their pivot. pivot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, remember the days when IBM needed to pivot and they managed to survive. HP, what? not quite as much. <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard to go from, you know, VMware still software. So I, it, I think the assessment out of this is, you know, it wasn't, it, it's it's VMware's opportunity to lose in this case, but they're they're certainly messaging and moving in in sort of a, a straight linear direction, which seems like enterprises want to do. Well, they're hard, making hard it to disrupt. Yeah, they're making it look like it's a straight line, whereas uh, so they are trying to. Uh, cover the complexity and the pivot by we're here for you and we've still got really good software. But they're I, they're still doing the pivot and trying to get the companies to pivot with them, but they're making it look like a straight line. Well, at it's least they're pivot. doing that. You know, unlike, for example, Dell, which pivoted so much and even in their optics that we did, they started looking like a revolving door. yeah well and that's i think there's the way kubernetes is marketed from an industry perspective is it should be you know safe and boring so Mm -hmm. somebody messaging that they're doing something to kubernetes that's different um which we're sort of used to used to hearing we want to hear it um it's it's actually not i don't think that would be a a a welcome message in market i mean we'll 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 have a debrief after QCon too, but you're showing up with a you know razzle dazzle Kubernetes is probably not um, what the market wants to do. I I just want to point out before this meeting leaves ends yeah. that that it is bare, almost noon and it's a hundred degrees outside. Oh. Gosh, I'm sorry. And they're pre- predicting 107 to 108. And this was on top of yesterday's 103. <laughs> and it just get, keeps get the numbers keep getting worse and worse. But yeah. fortunately, we're inside and have air conditioning at the moment. <laughs> you should stay, stay cool. Yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. going to be, be a problem. Yeah. And uh, so... It it's fascinating this this heat dome, but you guys have been through it yourself. So Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And with that, I do need to wrap it up. Another somebody scheduled a good clock for me. So hey, I appreciate the the direct 
and candid conversations. I, I think this was really helpful to me uh, from a debrief perspective. I hope everybody else got something out. That certainly gives you some more stuff to chew on. I think it, at the end of it, I had a hat tip to VMware. Yeah. Our, our assessment isn't rah-rah, but it's certainly like, huh, all right. Singles and doubles. That's all you need. Singles and yeah. doubles. That's how you win the game. It, it's solid performance. It's not necessarily, it's definitely not stellar, but it's solid. It's boring, which means it's safe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, Klaus. Perfect. All right, y'all. Uh, I, need to, I need to drop the bridge. Yep. Otherwise, yeah. Thanks, all. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So it's always fascinating to me when technology people start from the status quo is not right or needs to be improved and then work through the process to get to, oh, it's actually pretty good. That is exactly what I feel like was happening here. And I think it is refreshing and important that we go through that process. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the whole conversation. We would love to have you be part of the discussion. Join us at the 2030.cloud and have uh, your opinions shared and discussed and pressure tested uh, like we do every week on these calls. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.